Get Smart Radio. We don't want to do anything to scare your children. That's the last thing we want to do. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. <laughs> I don't wonder what's in your cereal bowl, you know? Get Smart Radio. I'm going to try and forget you said that. Venice, California, in the Rose Cafe. We are gathered here tonight to talk about bloodthirsty women and their cycles. A lot of times when our bodies are doing things we don't understand, we want to know what's going on, and then we want, we want to fix it. So we tend to go to doctors, and doctors are overwhelmed with information that they're getting from their industries, and they look at you, and they analyze you, and they give you treatments. And I think part of their challenge is to keep their minds open as well and develop a dialogue with you and say, what have you learned about it? Because they're just as humbled by the movement of science as you are. So part of our work tonight is to find out what's going on in this world of women and menstruation and menopause, take the knowledge and bring it back to our doctor's offices when they tell us one thing or another about how to treat ourselves. Tonight we're going to talk about some of the myths and misconceptions that are around this issue of hormone replacement therapy and what that means. But we're going to look at the whole ecology of our bodies from the time that we are having regular cycles. Um, we're just bleeding once a month and we're moody and we want to know why we're moody. And then we're saying, God, how will I be in menopause? What does that imply? If I'm having a miserable period at 25, when I'm 55, will I be having a miserable menopause? Those are the questions that kind of pop into our minds. What's the correlation between our health as a young person and our health as an older person? Now, none of us here are older people, by the way. That was a really bad phrase. We're young people all the time, and only, we only have old attitudes. To help us um, look at this issue from, from very interesting perspectives, I've invited two wonderful contributors to our community who are doctors and, and um, women. And uh, the first is someone who is the co-director of the Women's Clinic at the Akasha Center, and she brings expertise in naturopathic medicine and its approach to the root causes of PMS and the complexities of menopause. Please welcome to Get Smart Radio, Dr. Maggie Ney. How far along are you, by the way, just so I know? I'll be nine months next week. She's, she's pregnant. Beautiful. Pregnant. <laughs> she planned it around the show. Um, the, uh, the next... Uh, doctor who's graced our presence. Her name is uh, Grace, and she is a renowned acupuncturist from the East-West Medical Clinic, and she focuses on balancing hormones to naturally support the preservation of blood and energy in women. And that phrase might be, well, what does that mean? We're going to find that out. Please welcome Dr. Grace Lee. Thank you. So excited to have you both here. They're both very beautiful, by the way. Those who are sitting in New York City in your pajamas know that we are with two beautiful doctors. Yes. Um, also joining us tonight, wow, wow. Tonight we have five authors slash artists who have contributed to a book called The Curse. And The Curse is a compilation of readings and poems and stories about women and their periods. We're going to have a lot of different words for the cycle tonight, and I'm going to use the word period right now. I'm not sure I understand why that word came from. But it's, I think it's a little dots you put in your calendar, the little periods. Um, I want to bring to the stage right now the... Um, editor and creator of this, of this publication. Her name is Deanna Cohen, and she's uh, brought these people to us. Thank you. So the way this evening is going to go is we're going to have two readers um, at the top of the evening, and then we're going to go jump into the interview with our, with our guests, and then we'll have another reader, and then we'll have the audience questions, and then we'll um, hold hands and sing, and then we'll have the quiz show. 
So, Diana, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And thank you for doing this book. Why did you do it? Uh, it actually stemmed from a conversation with one of the contributors, who's a writer and singer, songwriter, performer, who's here this evening. She'll be reading her story, Judy Hensky. It's over there. <laughs> It stemmed from a conversation I had with Judy one day. I don't remember exactly the context uh, of our conversation, but other than we were talking about uh, funny stories about bleeding and menstruation. And she told me literally one of the most hysterical, ghastly stories I'd ever heard, uh, which then I asked her if she would write for me and called her about a week later and said, I have this idea that we should ask a bunch of friends to contribute stories to a book on this subject. And she said, well, I don't want to have anything to do with that. <laughs> so I just kept thinking about it, and I mentioned it to some other girlfriends, and they said, oh, let me tell you my story. And I started saying, no, stop telling me your stories, write them down, and email them to me. So over the process of about two years, starting in 2001, uh, no, maybe starting earlier than that. It might have started in 2000. I began inviting friends and collecting stories. And uh, by about 2002, 2003, I had collected a number of stories and had the intention to just make one bound book and present it in a gallery because I'm a visual artist. And She's an amazing visual artist. Go to dianacohen.com. Is that right? Beautiful, beautiful work. That was Thank a you. good, and, honest plug. And so I, I immediately had the idea to make one singular book that was very beautiful and hand-bound. And as I began to find out how much it would cost to do something like that, I actually made a decision that for not that much more money, I could self-publish a paperback copy of the book and make 500 copies. And I decided to do it as an art piece. I signed the back of each book. They were numbered 1 through 500. I'm actually down to my last 25, 30 books, and I brought 15 of them tonight in case anyone wants to buy one. But I'm hoping that they'll have another life and go into a second edition at some point because there are a couple typos that are bothering me. And I'd really like the opportunity to just to correct those. They actually happen to be in the two things that I wrote. So twice a year, I get an email from a nurse practitioner somewhere in the United States who's heard about the book and would like to buy a copy. There's a difference right there. Thank you for taking the time to do what you thought you were going to do. Hi, this is Deborah with a special announcement that interrupts this podcast. Deanna Cohen's authors all read beautifully at the show and so beautifully that I wanted to put them all into one separate file. So above this podcast, you'll see another link to the readers of The Curse and click on that to hear all the readers um, read their pieces so beautifully. And that way we have sort of a separate uh, experience for you. One is to listen to the readers of The Curse and the other is to listen to the doctors who are telling you about um, what they know about menstruation and uh, menopause. So enjoy both, and thanks again for your time, and here we go to continue the podcast. Did you guys know that it is, September is National Menopause Month? Did you know that? And, and, I, and I found this out, no, no, I found this out today, because KPCC did a show on it, and it's the, um, what are they called? They're called the National American Menopause Society, of which I'm not a card-carrying member, but maybe after this I will be. And they said that they set September is National Menopause Awareness Month, and it's organized to increase awareness about the importance of having accurate information to enhance women's health um, about menopause, at menopause and beyond. So Get Smart Radio is actually um, in step with a larger trend to make sure we 
we get down and talk about this. So I feel I, it was so serendipitous. I can't even believe it. I want to say that our guests, um, I would love to interview them in terms of who they are and how they came to be doctors and their passion around their practice. But I want to save that for what's on the website that I've connected on GetSmartRadio.net. So you can click on their names and you can learn more about them. But tonight I want to get right into the questions. Don't be afraid to write yours down. Make sure you get them to Alicia, who's going to wave her hand again. You can pass them through to other people's tables to get it to her. Um, so thank you guys for being here. And thank you to those two readers. And let's get started with some questions. Amazing! Is everyone eating and drinking enough? Because the more you drink, the better I sound. Okay. Um, the first question I want to ask both of you is, is, is the burning question around we associate moods with cycles. And the moods can happen when you're 25 and having your period. The moods can happen when you're 65. And in your individual practices, um, when people come to you and say, I'm such a bitch and I want to not be that person and I feel like I want to also be who I am and I don't want to change myself, what are the ways that you, you approach that situation in your practice? Um, okay, hi everyone. So in my practice, it's, it's a really individualized approach. Like all medicine should be very individualized. Just like the stories, everyone has their own unique stories. So in looking at a woman who's experiencing symptoms of PMS, it's really important to look at there's hormones, so sex hormones, so estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, DHEA. They're um, hormones for their brain, so serotonin and GABA. And it's also important to look at lifestyle factors like diet and exercise, stress and how people manage their own stress. And all of that really interact together in front of a backdrop of how our culture really perceives the menstrual cycle. So the, the intake process you have, you sit down, you ask this probably laundry list of questions and then you have like a checklist and is there a profile you you have once you say oh these seven things are prevalent in her life then what do you do do you actually prescribe something or is it more of a okay again everything is very individualized but you know it's looking at short-term relief and long-term relief and of course for short-term we want to get rid of symptoms and long-term we want to address the cause and the cause again is really understanding each of those variables the lifestyle variables the hormones the neurotransmitters the nutrient deficiencies so for someone I for a patient I always talk about diet and exercise and lifestyle factors no matter what and everyone comes in in a different level some people eat McDonald's three meals a day and some people are you know, doing okay, but essentially talking about diet and a whole foods diet, um, getting rid of processed foods and limiting sugar, exercise, and then I look at the vitamins and minerals that could be deficient in an individual, so I'm looking at calcium, magnesium, vitamin D, B6, and then of course there's herbs that just help with the menstrual cycle. So again, it's very individualized, but um, those herbs and those vitamins can have an immediate effect. Um, diet and exercise alone can sometimes be helpful. And then exploring and reframing what PMS is to a woman. Thank you. So the takeaway here, I think, um, is that you don't have to sit and be miserable. There are, there are ways to look at yourself critically and make an assessment, and then from that assessment you do things and you measure what, how you've done it and how it changes your life. So no longer sit in the closet and you know, eat your shoes. You can actually start doing some stuff and, and doctors are sitting there saying, okay, I'm gonna help you do an intake or you could do it with your friends over coffee. Um, Dr. Lee, what's your approach? Well, um, I wish we had more male audience because what I'm about to say next is for male. Women, we should be moody. And once a month, when that happens, <laughs> you know what? 
back off. <laughs> Reason why we um, tend to get moody is because our body, once a month, which is a gift, it's wonderful that we have this gift. I don't see it as any negative, it's positive that we do have a cycle in preparation for ovulation, which is a foot. Um, fertile, to be fertile in 14 days. So women immediately become defensive to their body. So when they do become defensive to be fertile, to have a very important project to do, and that's what body thinks in 14 days, don't touch me, don't come near me. Okay? So now somebody who is around um, let's say married, husband, fiancés, boyfriends, well, get used to it, okay? So, um, well, we get better uh, as we age, but uh, we do need time. Women do need time, but once a month, that's all. But we do need to, uh, we, we will get moody and get defensive. That's our uh, nature's course. I like that a lot. I was telling somebody just before the show that we've come into an a industrialized nation where we sit in cubby holes and have to act the same way every single day for eight hours. And I think that in times before, we could sit in a tent and hold each other and you know, do the red tent thing. And I think that it's a really big, huge leap that we've taken, and a lot of it's very unnatural. So not that we need to go back there, but I understand that we should have some leeway to be who we are. So yes. thank, you for, thank you for both perspectives. Um, the, this is what I mentioned in the introduction, the correlation between um, having periods when you're younger and how you'll be when you're older during perimenopause and menopause. A lot of women who are just, they have their perfect period and they have no cramps and they're fabulous. Do they have an easy menopause? Have you seen a correlation in those that have like cramps and they just, they just lock themselves in their car for three days? Do they have a big foreshadowing of a horrible menopause cycle? Have you seen a correlation? I've seen a correlation between bad PMS and a bad menopause. Oh. <laughs> um, not 100% of the time, but here's what, here's what I have to say. And while certainly we do not have to be happy all the time, and we can be grumpy before our periods, sometimes it really is a reflection that something's not in balance, that we can do something about it. And if that's not corrected during the premenstrual years, then it's certainly not going to go away in the menopausal years. So the, the premenstrual years is a wonderful time to take a look and evaluate your body, any imbalances, and start to make those corrections so that you can hopefully thrive through menopause? Um, I don't see uh, the correlation, but I like to sometimes believe so, but I don't, Eastern uh, uh, medicine does not practice that and see it that way. Let's give an example here. They say somebody's born, uh, some, uh, we're uh, born with a very healthy body and an easy menstrual cycle, and yet uh, another person, is, a woman is born uh, unhealthy and very difficult, painful cycle. Now, her knowing that she has a very painful cycle, she will uh, adjust herself and take care of her body with uh, proper food, proper diet, exercise, take care of themselves, and then she will uh, gradually 
um, have an easier menopause. Then someone who is born healthy body and start abusing their body with the drugs, prescription medications, not exercising, overweight, yes, and I do believe that they will have a difficult menstrual cycle. So um, correlation, I am not so sure that it's related. So what I'm seeing in common for both of you, though, there's, there, there's a holistic look at your life and your body and, and the cycle of who you are and your behavior as well as who you are innately as, a, as an organism that was born. So you, ha- you have, you're born with certain strengths and then over time you either abuse your body or you don't and that has an effect Correct. on your... Right. On your, so okay. if, you, uh, through, if you take care of your body through and know your, your, uh, listen to your body and menstrual cycle, you get moody or painful. If you are too painful, then don't do anything. Just rest. Okay. Your body's telling you to rest. Want to add to that? You want to, that, yeah, yeah, That's, yeah. We can move on. Great. Okay. I like that. Are we having fun so far? I'm learning. Are you learning? I'm learning. Are you getting smart? I'm getting smart. How do I know what the difference is in terms of perimenopause and menopause? What are the markers that tell me I'm, oh, I'm in perimenopause. Oh, I'm in menopause. Oh, I'm beyond both. Good question. So menopause is actually one day. It's the year anniversary since your last menstrual period, and that's how you know you're in menopause. Last one day, the next day you're post-menopause. Wait, wait, say that one more time. So menopause, by definition, is one year since your last menstrual period. That's when you're in menopause. One year passes and you don't have a period. And then that next time that you have a... Oh, oh, you might not have a period again. You're not going to have another period. (laughs) You're in menopause. So you're doing this. 364, 365 on menopause. And you should celebrate. And I have my patients. Because what perimenopause is can really start even in your 30s. But, you know, there's really not a blood marker per se. I mean, we can look at what's called FSH, which starts to fluctuate in hormone levels. But they fluctuate. They can be perfect one day and off another day. So essentially, your cycles start to change. So, and I say anything is pretty much normal during perimenopause. They usually come shorter. So if you had 28-day cycles, they're now 25, 26, maybe every two weeks. And then you could skip for six months and then get it every two weeks for a couple months and skip another six months. So all of that's normal. That's perimenopause. And usually there's symptoms associated. You start not to feel as good and as vital, but not always. So it's usually just really the change in your menstrual cycle. I don't want to be funny, but every time someone mentions menopause, I think about uh, the vocabulary because the English is my second language. That means men. Please pause. Because <laughs> we need time. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't know uh, the word. Uh, first of all, a, me- a premenopause to menopause because it's transitional. It's a natural course a woman takes. Um, it's just simply that we are not going to bleed anymore. That does not mean, I mean, I won't bleed anymore, and let me correct that again, um, because when I, when I said half a jokingly in menopause, means that we women are going to have a new life, new age, new physical change, uh, physiological change in the physical body, 
where we are ready for more sex, I think. And men go through menopause too. Yeah, I heard about that. Right, and now they're declining. That's not right, but... <laughs> so, um, menopause just simply means stop bleeding, in my definition. Does not mean mentally, uh, physically, spiritually, and desires, we don't stop. So there's nothing change in that. And as a woman, we are actually are get, start to enjoy our lives better without that. I think, I, I think what's compelling about your orientation around menopause is that there's, you ha when you approach things from a spiritual place and from a place of larger meaning, you associate a bigger meaning for them and you approach them with more um, a regard, I guess is the word, and less adversarialness and more like, okay, we're gonna work together here. I think that there's uh, something I wanna do right now is sort of going from, from myth to fact and then from fact to treatment. So a lot of women um, think, or a lot of couples or men in particular, think that when a woman has, goes, starts going through menopause, her libido goes out the window. And I've done enough reading to know that that's not true, and I've spoken to enough people to know that's not true. But let's say a woman, I know a, a perfect example of a woman whose husband went on Viagra, and he was ready to take his ship and dock in the port there. And, and her port was having, you know, some grounding problems. So, so the, the, the question I have is when you have um, a woman who wants to very much engage with her husband and be a part of that world, what are some of the actual treatments that you can bring to her that make her life better? And I'll start with naturopathic approach. Okay. Um, so libido is really interesting because it, it really is a, not just about hormones. It's an interplay of how you perceive yourself and your vitality. But it, on another level, it is about hormones too. And um, during menopause, you know, hormones do drop, and that can have an effect. So. First of all, your, your vagina can get dry, it can, and it can just not make you want to have sex because it can hurt more. And testosterone does drop. So, I mean, not everyone experiences low libido because of this, but a lot of women do. So, and I guess what comes into my office are usually people who are having symptoms. So, what do I do? So, there's, there's a spectrum of therapies from lower forced intervention to higher force intervention where you can work with the diet, the lifestyle. Um, when hormones start to drop, your adrenal glands, which are your stress organ, pick up slack, so supporting your adrenal glands. Um, sometimes even treating, and I, I guess we'll get into this, with, natural, with bioidentical hormones, so um, either vaginal estriol, a type of estrogen to help, I, I kind of call it for women flossing your teeth. Um, it's just maintenance for the vagina to keep the walls plumb. Um, maintenance for the vagina, I want to just repeat that. Maintenance for the vagina. I'm going to walk up to somebody tomorrow and say, maintenance for the vagina, and I'm going to see what they say. And Good. not everyone needs that, and some women do well with some, sometimes vitamin E oil on their vagina. Um, some women do well with just uh, understanding what's going on and just really working with diet and lifestyle. But um, Demi Moore went to Ashton Kusher. Sorry. Can you repeat the whole flossing? The... Oh, there's somebody that wants to repeat the flossing of the vagina. Okay, I, I hear you. Okay, yeah. well, what I was saying, an analogy that, that vaginal estrogen sometimes can really just transform someone's life when they're suffering from 
from dry vagina, which can happen during menopause. So I, when I put someone on the vaginal estriol, um, which is a, one of the types of estrogen, I call it um, just like flossing your teeth. It's maintenance for the vagina when you get older. And, I, and, I, and one of the goals of tonight, seriously, is, is, to, is to amass a certain amount of vocabulary that we can actually go out into the world and seriously kind of have this conversation so it won't be so in the closet and talk about this stuff because it's, there are solutions for, the, for, the, for things inside the bedroom and outside the bedroom. We'll, we'll get to that in a second in terms of hot flashes and things. Um, in terms of libido, uh, Dr. Lee, do you have a, a certain approach? I know you, you're, ac, is acupuncture your first line of, of treatment? Yes. Um, I like to uh, take an approach first to try to balance yin and yang, uh, hot and cold, and acid and alkaline, and a positive negative. Everything has opposite sides. When we go into a menopause at age 50, we are 50 to uh, 51. Um, in Western medicine, we tend to, it's like HRT hormone replacement, but we're not really replacing because we haven't lost anything. What that means is we're not producing as much as we would like to and we used to. So proper diet and, and, um, and libido-wise, um, I think let's do things naturally. Um, it's uh, depending on also husband and the partner, too. <laughs> you know, this, this, this leads comfortably to the next question, which is there's 40 million women on HRT, on hormone replacement therapy right now, and there's a lot of discussion around the safety of that, and I think it's like 20% of them are on it for more than five years, and they say that's the marker where people get concerned after five years. The interesting thing is before five years, they say it actually can, can um, help with osteoporotic dysfunction, it can help with coronary disease, like some of the HRT stuff can be good, but they talk about cancer as well. So there's a lot of debate on that. We can, all, we can spend all night talking about the debate of HRT. What I'm interested in doing tonight actually is saying, okay, we in this room and out there in the cyber world know that we can go to our Western doctor and we can get hormone replacement therapy. What I wanna look at tonight is the options that you guys practice, the results you have, um, and how you share those results in a way that actually gets out into the world because I find that when I do my research, the ones that really are the loudest are the ones that are more from the, from the, you know, the Journal mm -hmm. of Medicine and Science, blah, blah, blah. And I'd like to see more results that are positive because I see mostly results that are like, well, it can't, you know, vitamin E and primrose oil, like, yeah, it doesn't really work. Go to the HRT. You're going to make your life better. So how do you approach that with your patients? Okay, well, I just want to discuss the difference between conventional synthetic HRT and the bioidentical hormones because it's comparing apples and oranges. It's, it, they're very different. The synthetic HRT, which where the studies came out that was terrifying and women stopped a lot of their hormones, was with the Women's Health Initiative. And that was um, studying really Premarin, which was a synthetic estrogen comp made from horse urine, and Provera, which is synthetic um, progesterone. So the, yes, that caused more heart disease, strokes, blood clots, and breast cancer. And then there's bioidentical hormones. So these are hormones from you know, natural sources, but what really makes them specific is that, that they're bioidentical, meaning they molecularly match our body's estrogen and progesterone, unlike the synthetic Premarin and Prevera. So it's really two different things with the HRT. So I just wanted to clarify that because there is a lot of confusion with that. Um, 
And if anyone has any further questions, I'll be happy to answer that. I just have one question. Yeah. So does, it, does if I go to Kaiser, do they even give me bioidentical hormone replacement therapy? No. no. Okay, so this is definitely a delineation between going to you and going to Kaiser. Because it's not, it's not standard of care. And here's the thing. The pharmaceutical companies can't patent anything that's natural. So they can't really patent the estriol that I was talking about for the vaginal um, dryness. But they can patent and do it in a unique form. So, for example, there is bioidentical... FDA approved, you can get it through Kaiser patches, which is estradiol, you know, just a plain estrogen. But, um, but the way that a lot of practitioners, including myself, might do it is with creams, and you just can't patent it, there's no money in it, and it's not, F, it's not um, really accepted in the medical community. But that being said, um, to more specifically address your questions about the evening primrose oil, the vitamin E, the black cohosh, um, what Mexican wild yam, I mean, all the herbs that maybe we've heard about, it really is to, hard to study. I mean, it's hard to study because there's who's on vitamin E, black cohosh, same amount. But a lot of people might try the black cohosh, but really where the science shows is that it's the standardized extract, 40 milligrams twice a day, that has an effect. So someone might hear about black cohosh, but then maybe they'll go to the drugstore and pick up a pill and take one pill, and who knows if it has the right milligrams in it anyway. But um, So it's really important to work with someone who really understands the herbs. But it is hard to test. It's hard to isolate the extraneous variables in someone's life, like their stress and um, um, what other supplements they're on, because sometimes it's an it's a interplay. But it's true. It's sadly, there's not consistent... And I'm a naturopathic doctor. Oh, please find, I want to find research to really support. And there's some, but there's not consistent research to support you know, some, some of the herbs that are used. And they work for some people fantastic, and they don't work for other people. Thank you. Um, I was, uh, uh, I didn't finish what I wanted to say last time. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's my, I didn't mean to interrupt um, you. Instead of, uh, um, uh, this kind of relates to the, the same answer. Uh, instead of trying to increase estrogen, uh, my approach is to decrease the rising yang, which is the progesterone. So we don't have to uh, focus on so much replacing the estrogen. Now, just replace the estrogen in uh, uh, the woman's body, it's not sufficient, it's not enough. Because what are we going to do with the calcium and bone uh, um, degeneration? So I suggest that people, I mean, women who's in menopause should, or before, should be in an acid and alkaline balanced diet, which has a calcium, uh, alkaline, just eat uh, more of alkaline food, drink alkaline water, and which has calcium, magnesium, potassium, and niacin. So these are four minerals that actually reduces uh, much of the, the progesterone. Estrogen, I highly recommend royal jelly. That's really nature's uh, God's gift, uh, the strong female queen bee's hormone, <laughs> right? How much? About um, half a teaspoonful a day, an empty stomach. And mix it with if peanut you butter? read about royal jelly, it's, ama- it's, it's really amazing amazing um, so one of the takeaways from that is we need to get more funding to study the results of these kinds of treatments as opposed to just the ones that are from this we are at a point right now where I think we're getting a lot of questions in um, from all over the world and um, 
people are responding, and I want to um, segue here. I want to, I want to have a goddess moment now. I'm going to sing you a song, and then we're going to have another reader come up. And I also just want to have a acknowledgement of these two wonderful doctors and how they've helped us so far. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, this song is uh, by The Pretenders, and it's one of my favorite songs. It's called Hymn to Her. And imagine, if you will, a guitarist and a flautist and a very subtle drummer behind me. <laughs> Let me inside you into your room. I've heard it's lying with the things you don't show. Lay me beside you down on the floor. I've been your lover from the womb to the tomb. I'll dress as your daughter when the moon becomes round. You'll be my mother when everything's gone. And she will always carry on. Something is lost, something is found. And they will keep on speaking her name. Some things change, some stay the same. Keep beckoning to me from behind that closed door. The maid and the mother and the crown that grows old. I hear your voice come out of that hole. I listen to you when I want some more. I listen to you when I want some more, everybody. And she will always carry on. Something is lost, but something is found. They will keep on speaking her name. Some things change, some stay the same. Good questions. I'm just going to read them by myself and let you guys just sit here. Just kidding. Okay, here we go. If someone's on HRT and wants to get off, okay, what's the best way to do it? Can you do it slowly? And if you're not getting the right results and you want to get off, you just can't jump off. You have to sort of do it in transition. Is that correct? I definitely recommend doing it slowly so you don't shock the system. So, yeah, doing it gradually, just slowly. Milligrams, less, less, yeah, less, less. Yeah, a little bit less every day, a little less every day, and you could go to every other day and stop. Yes, I agree. It's slowly. Yes, and then start detoxing your body okay. as well. Yes. Um, someone writing in from Atlanta, Georgia. Um, what do you, <laughs> seriously, amazing people out there in their pajamas. What do you think about hormone testing? Are they accurate? And if so, do you recommend testing hormone levels? Um, I don't uh, recommend uh, to do that because depending on what she did night before, what she ate before, uh, maybe a woman has sex, alcohol, drugs, whatever, but it's, it's never accurate. That's how I see it. But there is some, some truth to blood level test, but, uh, but I think that if you're going to really find out your hormone level, I think you should do about three times. 
uh, blood test. Right, to have variables um, versus, right. Yeah, so there's a lot of different ways to measure hormones, and blood is one of them. It's a good, it's decent baseline, not great, because it does fluctuate from day to day, time, minute to minute. Um, but insurance covers it, and it, you know, nice little baseline, but there's, it doesn't always measure what's bioavailable to the cell. So even if your estrogen's good or your testosterone is good, it doesn't mean it's actually reaching the cells. So there's different ways like saliva and urine that can also look at it. I do measure hormones. That's a great t-shirt. I measure hormones. Um, uh, here's one from Brockton, Massachusetts. The listener writes in, both of you use the term proper diet. Does the definition change during the time one heads towards menopause? Is it, do you have to eat different things as you, are you, as you barrel towards ecstasy? Um, I really like to keep it simple with when it comes to diet and I just a common sense diet of eating a whole food so eating foods as close to nature as possible so fruits vegetable whole grains nuts seeds legumes healthy sources of meat um, if you can do that and get rid of the processed foods and the sugars um, you can thrive however there are triggers so it's really good to know what your triggers are so if you're getting hot flashes a lot of hot flash triggers are like spicy foods and hot liquids um, so and coffee or chocolate. So it's good to, it's good to kind of just listen to your body and pay attention to how foods are affecting your body. That might change as you um, get older. Well, um, it's very, very important that we have a proper diet. What I mean by proper diet is that so many people uh, here, uh, I see they go on different types of diet to lose weight. For example, if you go on a complete protein diet to lose weight, because I think uh, here in America, people are more con women are more concerned about their body, the way they look, rather than really internal health. So when they go into a complete protein diet, we don't have a carbohydrates. When we don't have a carbohydrates, we don't have a cholesterol. When we don't have a cholesterol, I mean glucose. And when we don't have a glucose, we don't have a cholesterol. Cholesterol, if we don't have it, then we don't have estrogen. So many times with uh, women in 30s going to menopause because they don't have, they don't have a menstrual cycle because they don't have estrogen and because of due to the uh, poor diet. So it's important to know that the diets you choose to lose weight on might be diets that might not be good for your long-term health in other ways. So it's important to sort of look at all things. Again, Correct. it's the dialogue you have with your practitioners to say, hey, I'm about to do this diet to lose 10 pounds. Is this going to affect my Eating balanced diet. It's Got it. Thank you. Um, New York, New York. Typical question from New York. Is it true that if you don't use it, you will lose it? I have heard that if you don't have sex fairly or regularly, your vagina walls get thin and all hell breaks loose. <laughs> I'll answer that. No. I don't know about vagina walls, but I do believe uh, what she's saying is if you don't use it, yes, it gets rusty. And um, uh, uh, we, I think we should use it every day. And if we don't use it every day, and who's going to bring that back? the last time and last moment and last pleasure. So uh, we should utilize it as much as we can. <laughs> it's a natural hormone therapy. Right. Um, okay, this person is from Berlin, Germany. And they write in, what? No, what is the correlation between... <laughs> I didn't do that. What is the correlation between... I can't do accents at all, so I'm not going to go there. What is the correlation... Who's that? 
Bruce. My cousin Bruce is here and his phone is still on. That's just a typical cousin. What is the correlation? What's the correlation between environmental factors and genetics regarding the onset of menopause? Does one supersede the other? I think they work together. It's hard to say what supersedes. I think everyone has a genetic propensity towards, you know, maybe when they go through menopause and how they possibly experience PMS. But environment plays a significant role because, I mean, we live in a toxic environment, and the more we're exposed to, the more estrogens we're exposed to, can certainly affect um, our genetics and, and change when we and how we experience menopause and PMS. Uh, someone writes it also from New York. I guess New York is up late tonight. What are the universal things to avoid that make PMS worse? All right. <laughs> Sugar. Sugar. Pro- processed food. So things in um, boxes, <laughs> breads, pastas, cookies, crackers, things that, foods that cause a, a transient increase in glucose. White flour. White flour. Um, salt can cause more bloating. So, yeah, if we can cut the, all of that out, the processed foods, and sugar, so you'll be in good shape. Eat kale constantly. Kale, kale, kale. How do you crave sugar? I think a spicy food would be one one major. Uh, I've heard thing. that before. And, yes, yeah. spicy food and alcohol. Um, uh, something that stimulates. Something that, uh, uh, of course, any kind of drugs. I'm, I'm kind of. Um, it, I think your body will not uh, be uh, good with that. Okay. Oh, here's a good question from Long Island. I'm telling you, New York. How universal is it for a cycle to stop after getting off birth control? Um, the neighbor ring they're using. I haven't had my period for three months. Should this be of concern? Birth control. Um, here in America, I see young women, even in 20s, 30s, uh, I mean, even if in, in, in age 14, 15, for hormonal reasons, they go on birth control. When you go on birth control, you are actually going on menopause. You are stopping uh, estrogen progesterone production by taking birth control pills. So you have a synthet- synthetically making your uh, ovulation each month. So, um, it's, um, what was your question again? What was my question? (laughs) Does God exist or is it just something we are told to believe in? (laughs) Oh, the question, it was about, um, uh, birth control after she went off it. She hasn't had a period in three months. Yeah, so, so she is in menopause, a state. So I would think that my recommendation is to, uh, uh, to stop, uh, uh, birth control. Uh, win it out. She did. She did. And she hasn't had her period in three months. How long will it take for her cycle to regulate? Okay. Well, depending on how long she's been on her birth control. So let's say say she's been on it for 10 years. It's just not going to come back in next month or two months because her body needs to go into the cycle and be healthy and start producing estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone and start to function normally as a female. So three months is not an unusual amount of time? No, not at all. If women don't have it for even a year. No. She can still get pregnant. If she's ovulating during that time. So it can Correct. take a little bit of time. I mean, you, some women get their periods right away, and some women, again, it can take a f- couple months, and that's pretty, that can be normal, but if you're we're, not we're ovulating. Like, we're like snowflakes. 
We are like Sorry, snowflakes. We are so different. We are different. We are, and everyone has to see that. And so a couple months, but you know, when it gets to be a year, I mean, that is a little bit long, but um, if you're ovulating, you can get pregnant. If you're ovulating, you should be getting your period, because you, if you're not conceiving during that time. So it's hard to say. So does that make sense? Because <laughs> I've got a confused look. But yeah, as long as you're ovulating, you can still get pregnant. But I don't recommend that either. Uh, however, <laughs> because when you don't, when you don't have a healthy period for next month, like, like I said, I don't know if you're going to be having a healthy baby. So we would like our body to be healthy, have a healthy menstrual cycle, and um, even it's painful, we want to make sure that we will have regular periods before we plan to conceive. Thank you. Um, from Tucson, Arizona, Mark writes in, my girlfriend is in her mid-20s. What sort of changes in her cycle, her body, and her hormones are happening at this stage in her life? Also, how can I contribute positively, God bless you, Mark, to her health during this time and in the future? It goes back so to sweet. sex. <laughs> Let's have an applause for that one. So if... If Mark's girlfriend is healthy and vital and feeling good, then her hormones should be optimal. I mean, hormones can start to change, but if she's in her mid-20s, they should be optimal. She should be feeling good, and you can support her by, you know, supporting the menstrual cycle. When she gets her period, it's okay. Not taboo. Talk about it. If she is have a, have a period party. You can have a period party. Okay, so we talk about sugar, and someone in Santa Cruz, California, is sitting there with her bonbons, eating them right now, saying... But why is sugar so bad for periods? But, but, but chocolate helps. Like, people feel better when they eat it, but it's bad for you. Can we talk about what that is? Like, what's happened to the body? Because you feel better when you eat chocolate, supposedly, but it's not good for you. Are you talking about after menopause? No, or women periods, period? when you're having your period. When you're... Okay, well, uh, we crave sugar because the sugar is, I mean, it's glucose, and that turns into cholesterol, and cholesterol turns into estrogen. We need estrogen. When we are in lack of estrogen in our body, then we, we, we constantly crave for chocolate, something sweet, to produce more estrogen. So uh, if you, I mean, it's, it's really important. Uh, we could sit here all night, talk about till cows come home, and, and talk about, <laughs> you know, what menopause and how to treat and all, all uh, you know, come up with all the answers. But basically, we got to learn how to listen to our body. And, and take care of our body. And when we start to crave it for sugar, uh, again, that means you're off in yin and yang and acid and alkaline and sugar and protein. So just start, you know, eating balanced the food will be the first step. Great. Someone in Hollywood, California, they want to know which herbs help with cramps and periods. Which herbs? Cramp bark. Oh, cramp? Bark. Yes, cramp bark. Bark. Right, there is a... Cramp bark. Can you walk into a store and say, I need cramp bark? I mean, yes, what do you... yes. Uh, there's an herb called cramp okay, bark. Okay, great. And then, yes. Who knew? Cramp bark. Yeah. I love that. Cramppark.com. Okay. You guys mentioned something about the alkaline balance. And, and can you... Uh, someone wants to know, what, what, what is the balance? Like, how do you know it's a balance? Well, uh, let's... Uh, um, um, to give a few examples of what is acid then. As acid is al- opposite of al- alkaline. Acid is a sugar, acidosis. Um, even cancer cells are su- uh, the acidosis. But opposite of acid is alkaline. Alkaline is, uh, an, in food-wise, 
it would be, um, let's say acid, it would be pasta, bread, cake, um, anything sugar. Anything good. Good, yes, chocolate, these are all acid. Alcohol, these are all acid. But you need to constantly compensate whatever you eat with alkaline food. But when we look at American uh, the dish, big uh, steak is acid. Uh, the waiter will come and ask you, would you like baked potato with that or macaroni with that? That's also acid. And with the baked potato, you'll have a cream, uh, what do you call it, a sour cheese, sour cream, and, and uh, bacon beets, that's acid. And somebody says, oh, we do have alkaline in that, uh, that plate which is chives, the little chives, okay. So it's, we have to eat, uh, what is an alkaline food? Alkaline food is, is vegetables. Okay. okay, vegetables. So we need to eat balanced Great. food. couple more, and then we have our quiz show. Oh, my God. Someone says, oh, by the way, I'm going to answer someone's question without asking you guys. Someone says, from Hollywood, California, again, oh, my God. What about bioidentical hormones? They're working for me. What are your thoughts? We mentioned bioidentical hormones, and if they're working for you, great. Isn't that the answer? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, we mentioned that, but, but that's something that... Um, Can I add one thing? Please. Just, as long as you know, you're working with someone who's, who's monitoring you and following your levels and you know, monitoring your hormone levels in your blood. That's important. Okay. Or some right. way. Uh, <laughs> I do not prescribe bioidentical hormone because I, uh, it's not natural. Many uh, people think it's a natural hormone, but it's not. It's not natural hormone. It's, it's uh, sometimes kind of fools people uh, that it's natural, but it's, it's um, uh, synthetic uh, hormone, and it also has a side effects. And so I, I don't prescribe that. So please look into that before. Uh, if you are all into natural, all into organic like I am, and I am kind of not. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, different strokes are different folks. It's and kind we of uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. You know, it's like wearing fake leather and real leather. It's just a, you know, whatever. It's not, it's not a good example. Um, what's a good example? Uh, uh, whatever. It's... Potato, potato. I mean, I think, I think ultimately there is a, a, a door we walk through and we really want to feel better and we're not sure what we'll do to get there, but sometimes we make choices. Um, and the wonderful thing is both of you are in practice in, in the L.A. and we can all go to both of you and, and have our counsel and, and, and get better, which is great. I'm going to see both of you tomorrow. <laughs> colonic. We love colonic hydrotherapy. It's so much fun to do with friends. Um, <laughs> So when you do colonic hydrotherapy, does it help PMS? And this is from Krakow, Poland, ladies and gentlemen. Krakow, Poland. It can help someone, some women with, with PMS. Um, I don't routine, routinely recommend it, but if you do it and you like it and it helps you, great. Because it does kind of clean out the colon and it can detox you, so, and that can help with PMS. Well, I um, do colon, colon hydrotherapy in my clinic. And um, that's the first thing I do and recommend um, my patients to do colon hydrotherapy. Because many times 27 feet long colon intestine carries so much toxin. Did you say 27 foot colon? Yes, (laughs) long intestine. Now we have parasites in there. We have um, all kinds of medication. We have grease, fat 
candida, yeast, you name it. We have so many interesting things in that. It's like jungle in there. And, <laughs> and <laughs> we just, just uh, think with, uh, you know, having a bowel movement will get rid of things. No, that's not true. Because no, it's it not just, true. It is, uh, it's like a sponge. It just kind of floats inside of your stomach and gets bigger and bigger and, and bigger and uh, throws back at you with your toxin next day. So the first thing is, is oh, of course, because of environmental pollution and toxic to, to the, the, whatever we eat also, it's nothing natural and nothing organic even. Even organic food is not organic, although I eat organic, but rain is organic, it's acidic uh, rain. Uh, soil is acidic soil. So how, how is organic is it? You know, so... I, first thing I do is to recommend uh, the colon hydrotherapy to take, remove everything out, maybe uh, three, four times <laughs> a month. Then a uh, well, side effect of that is you will lose weight, about five to ten pounds. That's a side effect. Whoa. Um, okay. Because <laughs> um, you remove the 27 feet of colon. You know, I'm thinking we don't need horror films anymore. Just film that colon. Oh, yes. Yeah. I got a lot of pictures. Great. Yeah. Oh, the tape worms, the pin worms, the ring worms. So, um, wow. So, uh, one more question here, um, which is about... Uh, it's a kind of esoteric question, which I think is... We can leave this question-answer period with this question to all of us. Is there something kind of magical and heightened in the sensitivity that we actually feel when we have PMS? And maybe it's for the greater good when you're... Like everything is kind of heightened here, and can you use that for better for, for, for better good? Oh, that's such that's such a great. I don't know. Is that a question? Yes, yeah, it's a, a question, question from Los Angeles, California. Oh, yes, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and we can all work towards that when we have any fluctuation in mood or with our menstrual cycle. Yes, if we're more sensitive, if we can use that instead of judge it and use it to do something greater good or increase creativity or learn about ourselves, then that is the greatest gift of all. So, yeah, absolutely. Amen. I'm going to hold an applause sign up for that. Hold on. Um, I have to um, uh, talk about my culture, which is um, and from Asia. Um, we tend to be submissive up until menopause. And men, they are more aggressive with women, but somehow things turn around. When we women turn 50, uh, menopause, we now, we get to express ourselves. And by all means, before we couldn't do that with our uh, being submissive, but Whatever the God's nature has given us a gift to be angry and can be expressive and say, you know what, I'm not going to do that anymore. But in men, they also go through menopause, and guess what? They, they kind of start to decline and be a little bit more submissive towards, towards women. So I think it kind of balances in, in, in a way. So... So, right now, we're going to have uh, the last two readers from The Curse come up and, and grace us with their words, and thank you for being such an amazing audience. And while we're doing that, Alicia's going to sit with our uh, two guests, and we're going to think of the three quiz questions. And I'm going to show you what the prizes are now for the quiz show to get you really excited. 
Hold on, here we go. I know you're waiting, I know you're wondering. I know you're thinking, what did I get? What am I gonna get for being so smart? I can actually, I bought two for, the, for our guests. There's a smart food popcorn cluster, smart, get smart radio. This is for you. Thank you so much for coming, Dr. Nay and Dr. Lee. Thank you so much. And I, I want to, again, give a huge applause to our, to our guests here. Thank you. Thank you. And also to, to the amazing, uh, the curse is, what, what an amazing book, Deanna. What, what a great project you did. And... And I think I, I think we need to go on the road. I think we need to do, we need to do like a flow a flow road or something or blood chart blood trail. I don't know what we do, but it's a great thing. I'm sure you've thought about it. Um, so we have three questions to ask this audience. There's several hundred people here, so a lot of hands are going to be raised. Um, and uh, here's the first question. I'm going to have Dr. Nay read the first question. Okay. Um, why is cholesterol important in our diet? I saw the first hand be right behind you. Yes, yes. Miss Lady with a beautiful sundress. <laughs> yes. It makes estrogen. And you get a prize. <laughs> Come on. She, what she, is she, the definition of applause? <laughs> bigger applause there. Okay, sorry. What is the definition of menopause? You haven't had your period for one year. Excellent. I have to, I have to look out better when, to see people. I need to hear some alkaline foods and some acid foods. Vegetables. What's that? What, what are vegetables? Good. Yes. Pastas. Okay, yes. so, so, so do, you want someone to, do you want someone to have both answers in order for them to win? Yes. Okay, yes. So I need three alkaline foods. Three. That's okay. Cheryl, you want to try? Brains are... Uh, no. <laughs> Let's help her out because we're a community. Broccoli, spinach, and asparagus. Yes. Right. Broccoli, spinach, asparagus. Yeah. Right. That's three. You're going to share this popcorn. What's the other one? That's the, 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 the acid. Red, pasta, red meat, sugar, What am I throwing out to everybody? What is this? Acid. Acid. I think everyone. Okay, Good. Francine, you're going to share this with Shinks. Oh, but share it with everybody else. There you go. Um, I think this is. I think what we need to do now is do a group hug. Thank you so much for coming to the 10th Grad Smart Radio Show. And I'll see you next time. Thank you.